Good morning, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you may be. This is Nikki Acosta. I am your co-host for today's episode of Cloud Unfiltered. And I've got my awesome co-host with me, Val. Say hi, Val. Hello. And one of my favorite guests of all time, and I say this because we've done this thing before, uh, Stu Miniman of SiliconANGLE, Wikibon, uh, what else? I'm missing one, The Cube. The Cube. So Stu, uh, I'm so excited to have you on because you kind of do this thing for a living. And uh, you know, short of having any dogs running in the room and barking, which might be a problem for both of us, uh, you are always incredibly insightful. So let's start off by telling people about you and what you do, because there may be some people who uh, maybe don't know who you are. Thanks, Nikki, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, great to be on a podcast with you again. And yeah, as you said, uh, I do way more video than I ever really thought that I would. Um, so uh, I work for SiliconANGLE Media, which is the umbrella company uh, for a couple of different companies. So I joined when it was Wikibon. So Wikibon is a research and analyst firm. It's a 10-year-old company. I joined them uh, just actually seven years and a week or two ago. Uh, so uh, we're research focused on cloud, big data, IoT, and good old infrastructure because you know that, that's my background. Uh, I'm an infrastructure guy. I, I've lived on the vendor side for most of my career. Um, most recently before I joined Wikibon, I was at EMC. I worked for Lucent behind there. So um, I've got a strong networking background uh, and that led to a lot of this cloud stuff. And right around the time I joined Wikibon, we started doing this side project called The Cube, which is a live video program. We're the worldwide leader in live uh, video coverage for for tech, uh, and so uh, I am at way more conferences than I ever thought I would be. So you know everything from the big shows like Amazon reInvent and VMworld, Dell EMC World, uh, down to smaller shows uh, where where we talk about things like the AI and uh, you know various pieces of the infrastructure stack. Uh, and uh, as a co-host, I've interviewed you know hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, Nikki, you've been on the program. Happy to have you in the Cube alumni, uh, and you know love talking to startups and practitioners as well as you know when we do get the, the big name executives, uh, you know, thought leaders in the industry. What, what is it like going from sort of the vendor side to kind of taking outside in view? You were at EMC for a while. Yeah, uh, I, I spent 10 years at EMC, actually. And, you know, from 2000 to 2010, uh, you know, you say inside the company, and especially a big company like EMC, now even bigger now that they've been gobbled up by Dell, um, you know, I was in uh, engineering for a bunch of years. I was in the uh, CTO office for my last three years. And I thought that I had a good view of the market landscape. You said, we're a big player. Lots of companies like to talk to us. Um, I cover, you know, a broad spectrum of things. And when I left, it was like, oh my gosh. It, you know, it felt like kind of, you know, the blinders were open up and not blinders that were blinding us, but, you know, keeping you focused on everything that, you know, attached and, and had to deal with EMC. And now there's this big wide world with, you know, startups you've never heard of, uh, people, you know, at, at the periphery that you never ran across. And it's just such a really, really big world out there. Uh, and with my analyst hat on, as well as doing the cube, you know, you get inundated from all angles and all technologies that people are like, oh, we want to tell you about this or, or come on your program. So uh, it, it, it's, it's really, uh, you know, opened my eyes a bunch um, to, to see just, you know, uh, how more diverse the world was than even I thought uh, working for a big player. Well, why do you think that is? You think it's just like like tribal kind of group think, like it's just the function of how people operate or do you, 
do you think it's like inherent parts of of culture to where like you know older companies have you know different habits than newer companies? Yeah, I mean, even when I look when I was inside uh, the company, from when I was in engineering to when I be, took a more of a strategic role um, working in the CTO office, when I'm in engineering, I'm worried about you know what I have to do this week, what we have to deliver this month, maybe uh, this quarter. Uh, when I worked in the CTO office, you're looking out, um, you know, working with partners, looking out at technologies, uh, but just you've got so many things that you need to work on and there are people that can get to you and people that feel that they're never going to be able to reach you. I mean, I, I worked at corporate headquarters. Uh, I had been a field person in a, a previous job and, you know, corporate life sometimes can be a little bit of a black box. Uh, so it's just how much bandwidth I had, how many people can get to you. And, you know, I, I started doing some of the social media stuff, you know, my last few years at EMC, which opened my view a little bit. But when you're out on the outside, especially as a quote, you know, independent, um, you know, analyst, it's everybody wants to try to, you know, teach you something, think maybe you can help connect them to their audience, you know, uh, and, and see what can be done there. And, and, and Nikki, just as expected, you know, my dog walked by in the background. I, I, was, yeah, <laughs> I, I just had my husband come and grab mine. I was on because <laughs> mine were barking. So uh, good times. Never a dull moment on Cloud Unfiltered, where the dogs are unfiltered even. <laughs> so so what are some of the cooler things that you that you've been hearing about? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of... Uh, you said a lot of last week or earlier this week, uh, last week, you know, the, obviously the, the big news Friday was, was Whole Foods and Amazon, you know, and, and uh, we were talking pre-show about just like the, the gravity of what that means. Like, what do you think that means for, for the grocery industry? Yeah, I mean, look, I am by no means no expert on, uh, you know, the, the grocery industry, uh, but but it's funny. Uh, here, here's where I'll, I'll try to connect it and see if this resonates. You know, in the cloud world, we've been talking about, oh, there's this hybrid thing and this multi thing. Um, and I said, well, uh, hey, Nikki, are you a hybrid shopper or a multi, you know, location <laughs> shopper? Um, because we all stop at the convenience store. We'll go to a regular grocery store. Um, you know, we all have our stacks of boxes from Amazon, uh, you know, sitting there. And just like that in the cloud world, um, you know, customers, you know, we all have our SaaS applications. Uh, most people have their own data centers. I work for a really small company. We don't have our own data center. Sure, do we have a couple of, you know, servers here and there uh, sitting under a desk. Um, but for the most part, we use cloud services in the public cloud as well as SaaS. Uh, so, you know, boy, Whole Foods, you know, my mind was just spinning thinking about it because you, you take such as some of the basic things oh, okay Amazon now has the bookstores and they were thinking about this new grocery shopping well they can really accelerate that plan by going to Whole Foods um, they are going to have locations closer to all of us now um, and while I don't think that they're gonna have a room in the back um, that they're gonna have all the books and all the other things we're gonna you know get from Amazon there is that closer connection to the customer um, where you can get you know probably be able to check out some of their electronics. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, there'll be some delivery options for, uh, you know, household items. Uh, you know, you, when you see the stats of, you know, Amazon's one of the largest, you know, diaper uh, companies in, in, in the country, as well as I think they are now the number one, like, battery supplier. So 
Amazon, Amazon Basics, all those things. Uh, they are uh, the, the line I've used for Amazon for like the last three years is they are scary good uh, because in the IT world we've seen just the disruption yeah. that they've been having and you know you, you look at just there is no segment of the market that they might not touch as Jeff Bezos says number one it's always day one there will be no day two we're gonna keep driving and number two if there's margin out there he's got resources to try to just go streamline it and uh, you know take advantage of that well Go ahead. I was say, what stops them? Like, what, what, how does this, how can this plan possibly backfire? Like, what, what could be bad about their rapid pace of innovation and stuff like that? Like, do you see anything stopping them or anything coming in to cause a lot of issues for them? Well, so the, the, the strength of Amazon is they've got lots of different plays. So, you know, grocery, yeah. this could be, you know, who knows if this is going to work. People could get up in arms. And the people that like Whole Foods say, I'm going to stop buying from them and I'm going to do all my shopping at Trader Joe's. Um, so, you know, each individual market, but Amazon, they've got a lot of resources. Uh, they're okay with going in. I mean, you know, remember they created like a phone and it was a total flop and nobody liked right. it. So yeah. they're not going to win every single time in every single market, uh, but they have the resources. But to be honest, you know, they, they are very pointed uh, with their investments. I mean, a $13.7 billion investment in Whole Foods, you know, definitely is like, wow. That's why yeah. I, I don't think anybody was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is exactly what we expected Jeff Bezos to do. But, no. you know, he's aggressive, you know, he's gonna, you know, uh, he does the, the 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 rocket stuff to try to get uh, you know into that market. There's so many different areas. Newspapers, that yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. Drone, uh, yeah, yeah, Washington Post. I mean, right, it got in drone delivery. I mean, yeah, Nikki, how exciting! <laughs> it was like, okay, yeah, Nikki, you know, kids and juggling all this stuff and everything. Um, how far is the Whole Foods away, and when can I start getting my drone delivery so that I just say, you know, Alexa, add this to my cart, and when I get a certain amount of things, they're gonna have a box. Just land in my backyard, uh, and I've got everything. So I'm, it sounds I'm waiting, pretty cool to me. I'm waiting yeah. for it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I I use some delivery services, but I've noticed the, a pretty large uh, disparity in pricing when you go to a store versus like you know ordering through a grocery delivery app. You know, the, the pricing is so different. You know, you don't get the the specials. You don't get to pick your own produce. Like, there's still something great about you know going to the grocery store. I just happen to do it like on the least busiest times that I can, which is usually yeah. a Tuesday. Tuesday night is a great time to go to the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. But if I'm in the grocery you know, industry, I'm a little worried. Heck, if I'm a delivery company like FedEx or UPS, I'm really worried about where Amazon's going. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so Stu, uh, another question. So we, this is the exciting stuff that's happening in the uh, private cloud space. Well, I guess it's not private cloud. It's just Amazon doing its thing, right? But well, what's exciting you right now in, pub in, in the I'm sorry, in the private cloud space, like what's what's exciting to you there? Like, is it the Kubernetes or, or the multi-cloud, the hybrid cloud? Like, what's what's uh, what what's what's interesting to you right now? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because right, the public cloud, obviously, just the growth is phenomenal. You know, Amazon can't help but be impressed. Um, when I'm asked what conference to go to, the number one on my list is come to reInvent. Now there were thirty-five thousand yeah. people there last year. There's probably going to be like fifty thousand last year. So I'll be doing the cube there. I love it. The community is phenomenal. Microsoft's doing yeah. a great job. Google's really interested. But but when it comes to right that private piece, when we've talked about hybrid and multi-cloud, we actually wrote at Wikibon about two years ago. Uh, we wrote a new category, what we called true private cloud. And the reason we called it true private cloud 
is because what we were calling private cloud before was really virtualization. Mm. It was like virtualization plus yeah. Um, at the OpenStack yeah. conference, they were like, that was version one of cloud. We said that wasn't cloud. <laughs> you know, it's kind of BS. Um, you really, yeah. how do we really get the automation? Um, and when I want to look at the data and I want to work look at the applications, how do I make something that really is hybrid or multi-cloud? And yeah, exactly as you said, things like Kubernetes um, is, is you know, pretty exciting uh, to be able to make that real. Uh, I was at the Red Hat Summit earlier this year. They made a partnership with Amazon uh, to be able to take OpenShift, the Kubernetes uh, type solution, um, and take the stuff that I have in my own data center uh, and be able to have access to uh, the... Uh, the, the services that are available in the public cloud. So that's really exciting because, um, you, you know, people are worried about lock-in when it comes to cloud, what services are, am I going to have available, uh, and, you know, things like Kubernetes uh, and just containers in general allow me, uh, hopefully, to have uh, some independence between where I write something and where it can go. Uh, I was actually at the Cloud Foundry Summit last week uh, talking about a lot of similar things. So, you know, how, how do I... How do I take my application and, and give give it a little bit more ability and flexibility? So, so Stu, you know, there's put your analyst hat on for a yeah. second. You know, there's there's people that are. Uh, I'll put it this way: we had a a customer who talked about uh, looking at the market, kind of like the Goldilocks zone, and you've got you know companies, and he had like a particular date. Companies before this date are kind of old school, and companies after this date are new school. I think the date was like you know, 2010 or something. Um, and he said, you know, now what we're starting to see is that's this Goldilocks zone where even smaller companies are going to need, you know, traditional infrastructure for some things and tradi traditional infrastructure users are going to need cloud for some things. And so everyone's kind of like meeting in the middle. Um, do you see that happening? Like I, I, I see it happening with some folks, but it doesn't seem as ubiquitous as I thought it would have been by now. Yeah, um, so I, I tend to look at, we need to look at your applications and look at that in a spectrum. So I've got my new apps and, you know, if I'm, you know, the born in the cloud, cloud native uh, type solution um, that, you know, I'm embracing microservices, I, I, I know what I'm doing with it, um, you know, where I build them and how I build them and scale. Lots of those are in the public cloud, but we see some of the really big company, uh, companies out there that like, oh, well, they were on Amazon and they switched to Google or they were on Amazon and they brought it back to their data center and then they went back to another public cloud provider. So that, you know, how I build and where I build it uh, is, is something that we can look at. But the, the problem we have for most companies is I don't just have the cool new applications. I've got hundreds or thousands of applications and that's where things like Kubernetes and Cloud Foundry uh, can really give me a platform so that I can take you know, my new apps as well as some of my older apps, get them on this environment and give them really flexibility uh, where I can take my applications and have a little bit of distance between that and the infrastructure. Uh, so, you know, that's the goal. I mean, Nikki, you probably remember we used to talk about PaaS all the time uh, was the future uh, of, uh, of, of what cloud was going to be. Um, we feel, you know, most people don't talk about PaaS anymore, but that, that platform term comes in here um, and that is... I have my applications live there, um, and some of them I'm just going to migrate over. Some uh, some of them I'm going to start pulling apart and refactoring, and some I'm going to build brand new. So that's the the lens I tend to look at things. And, and you're you're right that um, you know this is a tough that you know some fit some applications uh, and and some infrastructure I can really define really easily and say oh this fits um, you know 
really short-lived, uh, you know, need to be able to change very rapidly. It's probably going to live in public cloud versus, oh, okay, I really understand this. I need to, you know, uh, you know, minimize the cost and maximize the utility I have. It's probably something I would live in my data center, but uh, there, there's lots of stuff that sits in the middle uh, that it depends. And strategies are changing. When I talk to, you know, most practitioners today and you say, what is your cloud strategy? It's the ink is still drying on it, and they're still sorting out all the details. Is that surprising to you? I mean, it seems like for folks that have been, you know, involved in cloud for a long time, it almost seemed like, you know, cloud was a no-brainer. Like, there were just so many advantages. Like, uh, why why hasn't it moved faster? And who's buying it? Is it lines of business? Is it is it IT? Is, it, is that the problem? Is that, you, you know, you've got all these people who've been responsible for all these disparate pieces and different silos that are now being forced to come together? Well, if IT was easy, you know, we wouldn't need so many of us, I guess. But, uh, uh, right, I, I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, IT is very fragmented. Everything tends to be additive. Um, you know, I talked to plenty of co companies that are still doing lots of mainframe. Um, you know, they've got mainframe. They're running, you know, Docker and things that, like that in the mainframe environment. So, um, you know, thing I worry about, like my applications, uh, something I've been kind of railing on the last few years is, Think back to the early days of virtualization. One of the earliest use cases that I heard was you had an application where um, it's running like Windows NT. Windows NT was going end of life. Oh, and the server, let's just say it was like a DL380. That was going into support. So what do I do with this old application? Oh, I got to rewrite it. Oh, that's going to be horrible. So let me stick it in a VM, and I can make it live for another five years. The problem was is that application already sucked, and your users already hated it. So <laughs> you're going to take that and run it even longer. Um, you know, every company you talk to, it's like, hey, uh, you know, how's your time card yeah, how's your time card solution? How's your expense you know, solution? Expense solution? <laughs> How old are these things? Oh well, it's mobile now. It's 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 great. So, um, yeah. So, um, right. We we need to look at applications specifically. You know, yeah. Uh, Hold on. And, and I got to take care of my barking dog here. Yeah. No worries. Uh, he's on mute. That's great. I've got, I've got, for those of you who can't see, I had to pick mine up and put it in my lap because he was whining at my feet. Um, this is this is Darlin Marlin. He's made a, a cameo before. For those of you who are who are just listening and can't see him, he is a cockapoo, and he is my golden child. I'm not gonna lie. You know, people always say that they don't have favorites. Uh, I have a favorite dog, and it's this one. It's <laughs> beautiful. I, I have a big neurotic dog uh, who sheds a lot, and I always wear black, and he is white. And I've got a little uh, yappy Chihuahua Terrier mutt, uh, and then I've got Marlin. And the designer breeds are worth it. You know, he was not cheap. He was like uh, a, a lot of money, like <laughs> you know, four 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 digits. Uh, but he's totally worth it. He doesn't shed, which is great too. And he looks he looks like a. Like he should, uh, he looks like Fozzie or like an Ewok. Waka, waka, waka. Hey, I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So one, one question I always like to ask, and, you know, it, it's question. It's a question that, I, that I've asked, I guess, and I may have asked you this before. But, you know, when you think about disruption, yep. what is it that is going to fuel disruption? Is it technology or is it culture? Or what, yeah. if it's both, what's the breakdown? Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's, it's a really good question, Nikki. And um, yeah, I, you know, when it, we, we, we argue, uh, uh, you know, I, I talk to other analysts, we look at ourselves and say, okay, you know, 
things are moving much faster than they were before. So therefore, if I don't start doing the next thing, chances are my competition's going to do it, and therefore competitive pressures are going to need to make me change. Um, yeah. That being said, inside most enterprises, it's not one person or one group. It's, you know, it tends to be, you know, I have this one application and I have to run it this way and I, I run the business on it. Um, so, you know, there are some companies that are just going to get forced. They're either going to get put out of business or they're going to have something horrific uh, that is going to need to make them change. Uh, if you read uh, the, the, the Phoenix Project uh, by Gene Kim, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a great example of, you know, okay, you know, the board comes, we're going to have to lay off people because, you know, we're not moving fast enough. So we know um, if you're not moving at a certain pace and your competition is, uh, things are just going to shift. Uh, you know, when, when I look at our business, uh, you know, we've been doing the cube now for gosh, since 2010. So a number of years, we keep investing in our technology. We keep adding more pieces. We've got, you know, a whole software team developing tooling to help us understand and leverage what we're doing. Uh, the, the whole, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, AI and machine learning, you know, AI has been talked about for, I, I think it's, I don't know, order of magnitude, 100 and 150 years. Um, so these aren't new things, but the tools we have available, the access uh, to, to more services, uh, what cloud uh, really gives us, uh, you know, one of the things that cloud gives us is the access to, you know, if I need to spin up, you know, thousands of cores in an instance, I could. You just you know, log into your account and you go and do it. So the access to do things that before only the biggest companies with millions of dollars of budgets and years to bring that down much faster. It was uh, something we, when we did our first, uh, you know, review of big data, you know, four or five years ago, it was right. Taking those really big things that only certain companies could do and driving it down market and speeding it up. Um, and AI one of the big things about that is right taking we have all this information out there that we have access to and are out in the general public and how do i make use of that how do i take advantage of that or how um, do you so, thwart how do you thwart the nefarious use of that which is oh like boy. you know like i i uh, i posted something on my twitter the other day it was uh i was looking at uh just i saw an article about uh, the president's Twitter followers, you know, and some people who have been studying his Twitter followers, and of course they're fake. And look, you and I know, we both know people that pay for followers. I'm not one of them, but we, yeah. we both know people who do that, right? Yeah. Um, and there was a, another article that I saw that I jumped off from that one, and it was fake news as a service. Yeah. Uh, and, and there were like, you know, it showed like these, uh, these basically these apartments that had gotten busted by the government uh, in, in the Asian countries that were click farms. And oh. so they have. They had a wall, uh, literally a wall of phones, and they confiscated thousands of SIM cards. And basically, it was the job of these people to go and just click and things and review things yeah. to get them pulled up, and so they could trick the algorithms into getting their their product to to stick to the top. So the, you know, that's crazy. You know, there was there was a, another guy who was writing about. Uh, this is an NPR story this week. A, a guy who studies Google search trends. Uh, and he said, man, you know, you can learn a lot more about uh, areas of the country and people's habits because, you know, Google is where you go to express your your deepest, darkest desires, fears. Like, it's, you know, it may not be something you have a conversation with somebody about, but, like, there's he found out there's a lot of women, like, you know, going online. And the scariest thing he found was the number of searches for uh, abortions. And he could, like, pinpoint 
pinpoint, you know, where where these things are happening, uh, which is just a fascinating case study of the human psyche that I don't think we've ever had before. Yeah, I, I mean, Nikki, don't we know, uh, you know, Google, Amazon, and the NSA know everything about us. Everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you bring up you bring up the, the, the whole fake news type discussion. Uh, I had uh, one of the hosts we have for The Cube, a uh, woman, Rebecca Knight, who uh, writes for Harvard Business Review, actually. And she says, turns to me uh, during one of the interviews, she's like, Stu, how do you know what information to trust and believe? And it was like, well, that's, that's a really good point. You know, my, my joke is, first of all, as an analyst, anything that a vendor tells me about their product obviously <laughs> is a lie, right? <laughs> you know, um, anything you tell me about your competitor, I, I might believe a sliver of truth of that. But, you know, all of us is, uh, you know, uh, I, I used to love reading the existentialist stuff uh, when, when I was in high school and even beyond. So, um, right, it, 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 exactly. So, um, you know, one of my favorite books, you know, of course, love 1984, but Brave New World. My favorite book! My absolute <laughs> favorite. And unfortunately, I think we live there because it says in there, anything you are told like a hundred times, you know, just kind of embeds itself in there. Um, my kids, you ever pull out of the driveway without your seatbelt on? They start screaming. Yes. Oh my yeah. God, you can't drive without that. And you're like, well, I remember when I was a kid, there were no seatbelts in the, no seat the car or anything like that. So just that, that the things as to what, what we believe and why we believe it um, is, you know, something that's really interesting. Scares me a little bit when somebody, even when I was like writing white papers, when I worked on the vendor side through being an analyst, it's, you, you think about, you know, understanding and directing thought. I mean, come on, Nikki, the clouderati. We made everybody think that there was only one true cloud and it was the public cloud or uh, something <laughs> like that. But uh, <laughs> it is interesting to think about, you know, what becomes, you know, kind of truth. truth. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing to see how flexible the truth has become. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it reminds me too, uh, when I went to the first DockerCon and I just started thinking, you know, there's all these uh, companies here and it seemed like all you really needed was a cute logo and a tagline or something and you were legit, like you were a really good company and I, I just... I mean, what what was the truth of what those companies actually offered oh, and stuff? My, well, Val, the, the first, first DockerCon, the one, like, I listened to, like, Facebook and Yahoo and Google talk about how they were using containers, and it, it blew my mind. But you're right. When you dig in and you're, like, some of the other companies there as to what was real and what yeah, they had I, there, it was just like, oh, hey, we have this cool new thing, and everybody's hopping on it. Um, we, like we had it. Yeah, go ahead. How do, how do you know which company this is worth researching and covering and stuff? And I'm, I'm actually, wait, 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 wait. Well, that's so, what so I'm asking you, too. We're, 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 none of the three of us live in Silicon Valley, so obviously we don't have the truth. Um, because, you know, in Silicon <laughs> Valley, um, right, you know, if the VCs funded it, it must be real. Right. Uh, so. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Unicorns, rainbows, hooray. Hey, man, there's a lot of money in it, and I get why, uh, you know, why people do it. I mean... Good night. Uh, you don't really need that much intellectual property. It seems like uh, seems but like a you lot need of... a really cool logo. Yeah, a, you like know, mascot, you know, you know what's interesting is I look a lot of the a, a lot of these acquisitions, and of course, you know, being involved in OpenStack, I've had a lot of friends that have been acquired, uh, and, and it seems like a, a really interesting thing that happens because you know, in a lot of ways, it's like the culture and the processes and the the tools and the sort of empowerment that allows these companies to move fast. But when you get absorbed into a larger company, you know, you, you now have to sort of assimilate to the yeah. to the rules and the processes. And so it's one thing to buy a company for technology, but 
you have to, I think people are, are falling short and not realizing that it's not just the technology that's making that, that company well differentiated and, you know, disruptive. It's the culture that comes along with it. And I, and I see people throwing technology at problems all the time. They say this, this technology problem or this technology solution will solve your problem. But most of the time, I don't really think that the problems are technology driven. I mean, sure, there's, you know, a speed factor that comes along with that. I, I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, the reasons why, you know, a lot of large companies can't move fast is culture. You know, their cultures are just not uh, well suited for, for innovation as they should be. Yeah, I imagine it gets harder as the companies get larger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's there's been lots of research done on just the the, the corporate structures. Uh, you know, the, the typical corporate structure really is patterned after after what the military did. You know, right. once again, quite a long time ago, and uh, command and control, filtering things up, making decisions. Silos. Um, yeah. yeah a, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, I every once in a while, I'll go to these conferences, really focused on innovation, and I had the opportunity to talk to Dan Pink. So if if you haven't read his book Drive is phenomenal. He's done quite a few books to you know why we uh, you know what gets us engaged, what helps us move forward, um, and you know everybody looked at models like you know Google's twenty percent time to say oh can we innovate um, by spending time on that and the the <laughs> at the end of the day uh, I, when I talked to him I said so can big companies innovate and he's like really no big companies can't <laughs> innovate um, you know can people innovate uh, can they buy innovative things and and therefore accelerate them or deliver them sure uh, but in general uh, you know no uh, you know big companies have the way that they do things their sales force is incented a certain way you know yeah. moving it is, is is really challenging and you know, I, I don't know if I'm 100% bought in. You know, I was, at the conference I was at last week, I was talking to, you know, 100-year-old financial and insurance companies um, that are trying to transform themselves into software companies. Mm. Um, you know, you look at companies, you know, anybody like, you know, Nike or GE or, you know, Wells Fargo. You know, there, there's lots of companies that uh, are, are doing pretty cool things, but, you know, at, at the IT side. But it, it is really challenging to change this thing. Changing culture is, is really difficult. Um, and Nikki, as, as you point out, it's not just, you know, oh, cool, throw some, you know, great new tool on top of it and everything's going to be wonderful. No, just, just you gotta just, get, people just, just get Kubernetes running on your site. You'll be fine. You're good. Yeah. That's all you need. Come on. Blockchain. Blockchain. Yeah. You just need a blockchain. That's the problem. Yeah. Hyperledger, I think, will be the answer for all industry woes. Serverless, bro. Oh. AI is going to make it program itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stu, Stu, I got to ask you, too. So, you've yeah. interviewed like hundreds, maybe thousands of people and stuff. I mean, yep. any big takeaways? Uh, just. Uh, uh, maybe some of the more interesting interviews you've done, like what's what's impressed you about all these people you've talked, like some, maybe some commonalities that some of these people have, or uh, I don't know, just something interesting about, you know, being able to talk with so many people. I just love any insight you have with that because, I mean, Ooh. it's it's, it's cool fun? you get to talk to Who's fun to party with, Stu? Yeah, yeah, that well, kind of come, stuff. Come on, Nikki. I mean, the OpenStack crew uh, for years was always fun um, before all the money dried up. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Val, I mean, for, from an interviews, you know, I, I, I love talking to some of the practitioners, uh, the, the ones that are doing cool things. You know, I, I've interviewed some really good, you know, young people uh, that have, you know, driven their careers and are helping, uh, you know, really, you know, 
change inside. You, you love. I, I interviewed a guy uh, that work, worked at a uh, at a service provider, and he's like 30 years old, and he's like the CTO already. Um, and he's been with the company for like eight years, and just talk about his career path and where he goes. You know, uh, I, I've been on the the podcast, The Geek Whispers. Uh, you know, good friends of mine. Uh, and you know, yeah, Nick, Nicky knows shout them well. Uh, so sh- you know, shout out to those folks. And you know where you can take your career and people that can learn from what you're doing uh, is, is always really interesting. So, um, you know, Val commonalities is, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, fight against some of the, that status quo out there, uh, be able to articulate clearly, uh, you know, vision for where the company needs to go and, and help delivering it. I mean, it's, it's tough to do it. It's it, the, the inertia of most companies is so tough to fight against. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you, how do you fight against it? What's the magic pill? Um, what are the magic pills? Get out. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Take the money and run. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, I, I think what you do is you go to 99designs, you find a really cool logo, um, you tell a good story, Val says, and, uh, you know, we can... We there can you go. There. Uh, you know, you can go start up your own company <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually you'll be big enough that you'll be slow. Yes, there you go. <laughs> So, look, I think, uh, you know, I, I see with time and technology that uh, that things are going to get better. You know, the the uh, the old the old C- CEO at Rackspace and my old crazy boss, uh, the guy whose uh, idea was OpenStack was his idea, Jim Curry and Lana Napier are now uh, they have a, a, a new firm and they're investing in companies that are people centric. And these aren't like get in, get out fast. They're really focusing on people. And I was thinking about that and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. In a time where people are focused on automation technologies and all this other stuff, like really, what are those automation technologies, you know, geared at? What are these new apps geared at? And they're ultimately geared at making the customer experience better for whatever it is that you sell or do. Uh, I think uh, to some degree they're onto something because I think people at some point are just going to go back to valuing the human connection. Uh, and and we see it with, you know, through social media, you know, it's, it's great to like keep up with your friends on, on uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that. But there's nothing like, you know, being in a room, hanging out with your friends. Or no, Nikki, the, the, the robots are going to take all our jobs and we're going to be out of work uh, real soon. So, uh, well, you know, if, that, ro- if yeah. that robot can clean my house, sign me up. Uh, oh, they've got lots of robots that can clean your house. But, I want uh, a robot that does laundry and cleans my house. I, I thought I saw one that even, it's pretty expensive, but not only does it wash your laundry, but it might even start folding it. It takes I a saw that too. I, know. I was pretty like, awesome? that's pretty genius. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, um, out of, we do so many events. We did uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we did an event uh, with uh, Andy McAfee and Eric Bonjonsson, uh, who wrote The Second Machine Age. So uh, they're with the MIT Sloan School, so pretty smart guys. Um, and they, they, they really pitched that we need to be able to race with the machines. So how do we make sure that, you know, all of these robots, you know, don't take away all our jobs and make it so that we're going to have, you know, a, a few that have lots of money and everybody else is going to be in trouble. Actually, they say it's really the fat middle of the marketplace that is really in trouble. The middle class yeah. can be wiped out. Um, and actually they've got a new book coming out next week. I'm excited about, uh, I think it's like platforms and, robots and things like that so no uh, way and that yeah. who, who was that who were the uh, authors again andy mcafee and eric bernjolson so uh yeah uh, I, I, i'll send you the link you can put it in the in the liner notes if you want. i would love that yeah. i would love to have them on too i love talking to people like that yeah so we are awesome. we're running out of time i know you've got a something coming up at the hour tell us about your new studio 
This is so cool. I'm so yeah. excited for you. Thanks, Nikki. So, right. So we are, uh, we've got uh, our Massachusetts based office. Uh, I'm actually working remote today, but in Marlboro, Mass, we have a small studio, uh, but in Palo Alto, California. So right in the heart of Silicon Valley, where all the wonderful money and ideas is happening. Uh, we've got a, a brand new 4,500 square foot studio right off of East Charleston street. It's on commercial street. So John Furrier's there. He does like a weekly show where he talks to, uh, to Valley people. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Valley people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, John always loves the VCs or people that used to, uh, you know, do that. So it's, he calls it Silicon Valley Friday. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I was out there last week. I, I loved it. We're building it out. So we've got, you know, uh, you know, access to lots of bandwidth. Uh, it's got a green screen. We actually did a product launch for one of our clients there um, and leveraging that studio more. So while we do the cube at, you know, about a hundred events a year, we can leverage that studio too. So like instead of going to Barcelona for Mobile World Congress, we do two good days of coverage from our studio uh, thanks to some of our sponsors. So looking to leverage that more um, and you know, we'll still be flying all over the place to go to lots of shows, but uh, can do way more in our studio too. Um, what, one last question for yeah. those of us who uh, are on camera frequently, what do you use to prevent shine? Huh, oh Stu? my gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, here at home, it's just make sure you don't have the fluorescence overhead. Um, but uh, in the, you know, we've started to use uh, our production people. I usually have like a little bit of powder or that like matte gel stuff uh, because yeah, I need the anti-shine awful. I just, managed to get some nice soft lighting in this room so i'm not too bad yeah yeah i think i got the shine going all over here <laughs> you're doing good Stu. thank you you are doing good well Stu, i can't thank you enough for joining us today. it's always always a pleasure i can't wait to have you back on uh our show again where are you going to be over the next few months so, uh, you know, the, uh, I've got uh, the, the big one that I think a lot of people will be at will be VMworld. I've actually, Nikki, believe it or not, I haven't been in Vegas yet this year. I was so excited. Um, I've been <laughs> out to San Francisco a bunch of times. I've been uh, basically everywhere that JetBlue flies direct in uh, the U.S. from Boston. I feel like I've been there. Uh, but VMworld and Amazon reInvent are the two biggest shows. Um, if you go to thecube.net, you can actually find uh, most of our events uh, that that will be at, and uh, of course, hit me up on Twitter uh, if if people want to get in touch with me sooner. Best Twitter name ever at Stu S T U. Well, Super simple. <laughs> Super simple. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Stu. Tomorrow, folks, I, we're doing this back to back because we had our reschedule. But tomorrow, we've got James Waters from uh, Cloud Foundry, Pivotal Cloud Foundry. So I'm really really James, excited. James to talk is to awesome. Him. I, I interviewed him last week. Yeah. What should I, what should I ask him? Anything anything you I should ask him about? Uh, let me see. Impending IPO. No, he can't answer that. But uh, oh. uh, <laughs> dang, he tried. <laughs> absolutely. But he'll, he'll definitely pick up on some of those discussions, the platforms that we talked about. Uh, that that's core to their mission. Um, yeah, the thing thing that's interesting. Talk about those young new companies versus big, you know, legacy companies, if you will. Most of his clients tend to be those big financials. Yes. You know, those big older companies so aren't they all dead i mean you know they're all going to get you know netflix and uh, airbnb out of the world exactly so. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much Stu. uh thank you val uh folks don't forget to follow us subscribe on soundcloud itunes if you like it hit like if you like the format if you don't like the format leave a comment let us know is it too long is it too short Tell us who we should have on the show. I wish I could have a million stews because it's always fun, but that's not possible. So uh, write us a line, drop us a line, uh, follow us at Cisco Cloud, and we will see you tomorrow. Everyone say bye. See you later. Bye.